This is Seam Change, where we chat to Aussie fashion creatives who are partnering to source textile waste and transform it into something new. I'm Julia English, and this podcast forms part of my PhD research at RMIT University. I've been interviewing these designers and wanted to invite everyone to listen in as they share their experiences. Their thoughts and mine are our own and don't reflect either the university or any other companies we discuss. I'd like to acknowledge the Wundjeri people of the Kulin Nations as the traditional owners of the lands on which this podcast was recorded and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Stella Scheller is the lead designer behind upcycling brand Glisse 504. Grown out of a desire to do things differently, the brand focuses on upcycling and renewing materials and garments that could otherwise be wasted. Born in Italy, Stella moved to Melbourne to study, and after working retail and learning more about the fashion industry, she was shocked at the waste and irresponsible business practices she saw. She started the brand in 2017 with the support from another seamstress initially experimenting with using pre-loved clothes and transforming them into new styles, which led into an Etsy store and selling secondhand pieces alongside their upcycled designs. After creating a range using men's business shirts in 2019, Stella connected with Nick, whom she partnered with to design a small range of remade styles from the unsold or damaged stock. This became an ongoing relationship and she still works with them in various capacities today. She has also worked with Lois Hazel to remake small production offcuts into a range of hair accessories in 2020 and currently sells both clothing and smaller items like masks and scrunchies through the Glisse 504 website. In this episode, we'll be talking about her making that first connection with Nick, how they kept the conversation going, as well as what a balance between wholesale and retail looks like for her brand. We'll also chat about her motivations to keep doing things differently when it can feel like an uphill battle and how she defines a successful collab. This is Seam Change, and I'm chatting to Stella Chella about how she collaborates with other local creatives to remake waste. It's lovely to have you being a part of this today, Stella. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your brand? I am originally from Italy. I moved here in 2015. I studied uh, many different things. I started with engineering and then moved into fashion and then into visual communication. And then I always worked in in fashion, not in design, in supply chains uh, and retail and as a stylist. And the first thing that I witnessed uh, during these years uh, were all the garments uh, that were unsold. uh, And uh, these garments, they get burned, incinerated, uh, or uh, just cut in half uh, and sent to uh, landfill. Because uh, I witnessed this, uh, I discovered that basically every fashion brand does it, uh, or at least big ones. uh. 
because the excess stock becomes, you know, a huge expense. And after that, I, I started thinking that, you know, there must, there must be something that we can do. By doing research, you also discover that the fashion industry is uh, indeed very wasteful, um, one of the largest polluter of our world. So because I was very passionate, I uh, thought we need to do something about this. Uh, and I just started uh, re basically reworking uh, garments that I had in my own wardrobe. And then I did it with second-hand items and friends' items. By doing this, I came across other brands and, and then to, to now. Then, of course, the business differentiates in many different other uh, things, but that's, that's the core of what I do. The actual brand, what was the cause for its inception as an official brand? It's a, it's a mix of uh, very different things. Huh? The, the first thing is that I was studying and I just moved here. So I didn't have money to buy new things. Huh? So I just say it, it just naturally wanted to refresh and renew something that I had in my wardrobe. So I didn't have to buy new things. Huh? And then mixed with that. The research uh, that I was doing on the fashion industry, and I was to I was totally stunned. I didn't know these, uh, uh, and of course the desire so to change uh, the the classic business model in which we produce we overproduce uh, for a demand that is not there, and more than half of the stock that we produce uh, uh, it, it doesn't sell. Uh, so we need to destroy it. So we used up resources, precious resources. Uh, and, and everything to basically waste and throw something away. At the beginning, I was very focused on trying to assess these uh, items, but it's not that easy because, uh, um, of course, uh, you know, brands uh, are hiding these uh, as much as they can for as long as they can. I focused on just uh, trying to create techniques uh, to renew and uh, redo, uh, you know, a garment. So I'm particularly interested in your work with Neek because they've got a program called Reneek. Could you take me back to the start of that? Yeah, well, uh, that was when I decided to do a collection in which I was focusing only on one type of garment, uh, which was men's business shirts, uh, even women's business shirts. But that's that's a particular type of garment. It's not, you know, a coat or a t-shirt. Uh, it's something that is has a, like a very similar pattern, a very similar design, and we can find plenty everywhere. That was a collection called the Reshirt, uh, and I created four or five pieces that everyone seemed to love. Uh, at the time, I didn't have such a huge, you know, direct customer base. So I was trying to look for feedback on the collection. So I actually published a post on a Facebook group that is called um, Like-Minded Bitches Drinking Wine, that it's for all women in business. I just said, you know, this is my collection. This is what I do. Uh, any advice on, you know, what to do next? And Nick saw that poster because um, two, three, probably, of the, the creative director and Emma, which is the person that I talked to, uh, she 
is here in Melbourne. They commented the post and then they contacted me. And then I, I went and met them uh, at their Melbourne uh, warehouse. Um, so that's that's how it all all started. Um, wow. With the post um, on the Facebook group, you just were really asking for just general feedback on the designs. Is that right? Yes. Uh, this is such a... Um, in a way, an innovative thing. So I'm not even sure that being by myself in this business, I articulate these uh, to people correctly so they understand exactly what I'm doing, what I source from uh, and everything. But it's not that I can implement, uh, you know, a wholesale strategy or a direct-to-consumer selling strategy and it's all good. Uh, this is like very, very different uh, so I was looking for advice on, on that group of what would have been my next move and just said, you know, I create these by using excess stock, that stock, uh, which as of now, I don't even know, you know, if the majority of people know what that means. Looking backwards, it was a very interesting collection. So after that first connection, when they reached out to you, what was the next step involved in the process? So we just met at their office uh, and they just asked me to bring the samples, uh, uh, which I just did with, you know, secondhand shirts. Uh, we met and they have a sustainability officer. At the time, I, I'm pretty sure that, that they were just starting the process of uh, considering more sustainable ways and techniques uh, to reuse their stock, uh, but also I mean, in terms of producing the stock that they have, they are very sustainable already, but they had a sustainability officer at the meeting as well. Uh, so we just looked at the samples uh, and decided uh, what garments uh, they had uh, that they could use uh, um, to do a unique uh, version of the same collection. Uh. Wow. So right off from that initial meeting, they were really interested in actually creating a project. Is that right? Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I didn't have much uh, doubts. Uh, even going into the meeting that that was um, not going to happen. We are talking about like not a 200 or 100 items collection. We are talking about you know, a small capsule collection, probably 10 to 20 pieces. Uh. I'm guessing that's pretty big for you. You're so small. That's quite a big number. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. How did that compare to sort of the number of pieces you'd made in the past? By myself, uh, uh, I would probably have sold two of those pieces. Uh, it's 10 times uh, the amount of, of garments that I would have sold. Uh, and also because of the whole sustainability, I mainly make to order. So this, of course, was, yeah, it was absolutely great news to me. But at the beginning, this was uh, on commission. Uh, so I, you, I would make the pieces, uh, but I would not be paid for them until they sold uh, in store or online. Uh, so that was, I guess, I, I did accept. Uh, I did not even doubt about it because uh, I was aware that this was so new that for me, it was enough uh, to just even have the opportunity to work with them. Yeah. Maybe at this point, it would be really nice to hear your description of the garments like how would you describe them and what were the things that you felt about the garments that really appealed to Nick? 
Well, uh, I think they were, first of all, on the lookout uh, for uh, ways of uh, recycle uh, stock that they have and they might not sell. And this was a good, very good start. Of course, uh, Nick is uh, minimal and uh, has that sort of evergreen kind of garments, not not really trendy. There are th- certain things uh, that they probably saw in that collection that were really suitable for their market. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, probably the aesthetic of it uh, was a huge help, uh, definitely a huge help. Uh, I think I think that's, that's the answer. Maybe what I guess I'd like to hear next is obviously you were working with their unsold stock or their damaged stock. When you first got a look at their waste, what were your initial thoughts? I mean, like I don't look at, uh, you know, a warehouse uh, and they point out what they have. Uh, Usually I have, you know, some work uh, that they like uh, and they they would like to apply on uh, their unsold stock i have absolutely no idea you know the amount of units or what kind of garments yeah so did they just give you the types of garments that they already knew you were looking for or did they give you a mix of garments to choose from no no they just gave me shirts because basically the collection was just using that kind of garment so um, they just gave gave me shirts so the outcomes that they that you produced were pretty much a duplicate of what you'd already designed previously yeah some adjustments like some of them they would look different of course i was using slightly different garments from the one that i personally sourced uh, which are also you know unique definitely some adjustments in terms of colors and styles uh, um, and fitting but uh, yes uh, it was basically a duplicate Thinking about like the whole timeline from start to end, how long did that take? Like, could you just, I think it can be hard to understand either how quick or how slow these types of projects can evolve. So can you talk me through the timeline? Probably was a month and a half. So um, with Nick, it's always very, very tight timelines. I think they, they're extremely busy all the time. So I think after the week that I met them, I probably had two or three weeks max to deliver the product so they could launch in store. So overall, uh, yeah, I would say a month, a month and a half. And just thinking through the, I guess, all the things that go with the garment when you sell it, things like the tags, the photographs, maybe to sell online. Who was responsible for all of those elements? Was that something that you took on or was that something that they um, helped with? For that particular collection, I took on the photographs. Uh, uh, they they did take on the tags uh, and everything else that has to do with the display in store. But yeah, uh, the photograph I, I, I took on. Sometimes I still do for certain things uh, with them. So yeah, it's not like uh, it's a clear agreement from the very beginning. Uh, sometimes it has to do also with the timing. Uh, if there's no time for getting good photographs and the stock needs to be on the website available sooner than later, then uh, you know I might take on the photographs. Uh. And I know your work with Nick has extended beyond this initial shirt project. 
Can you tell me a bit about why did it keep going? How's it still going now? And how you feel about that? Uh, well, of course, I'm very happy and I wish I could have more brands uh, with whom I can collaborate. I think that for a while, uh, we probably didn't uh, have much going on. I kept uh, anyway trying to send them which kind of ideas or new products I could suggest uh, for a while, I was pretty successful with hair accessories uh, because they are so small. Uh, you can use remnants and, you know, uh, damaged fabrics and things like that. But I knew that that wasn't uh, the aesthetic. Uh, so I didn't put that in a proposal. Then I think that COVID, I had a pretty good success with masks. Uh, so I asked them... Uh, and that's a way in which, uh, for example, I came to my first contact with Lois Hazel as well. I asked them, do you have any extra garments or fabric or anything that I could use for masks? Because I, of course, always try to source uh, things that are destined to be thrown or, you know, just sitting there. And they said, uh, yeah, just, just come, come around. And then at that point, they, they asked me if I could do some for them as well. And they were pretty successful, like they were mine, because at the time, masks were, you know, really in demand. And then with masks, I had some tie-dyes masks that were selling really well and started to do some tie-dye trials on T-shirts. I mean, I was exploring dyeing for a while. I started probably two years ago with natural dyes. Uh, yeah, after that, uh, we just started dyeing uh, some of their stock uh, uh, basics, uh, which, you know, a brand has tons of them. So, uh, and after, you know, probably COVID and everything, they launched a tie-dye collection that went really well. Uh, and that was um, quite a lot of pieces, the first one. And now I'm just doing basically tie-dyes for them and masks. Uh, so it continued that way, not in a very structured way, but mainly driven by uh, what is creativity, I would say. Yeah, so you kept in contact with them after that initial project and then that led into sort of working on the masks for them and providing some tie-dye masks as well. So it was quite an organic sort of transition by the sounds of things from one to the other. Absolutely, yeah. Of course, keeping contact with them and keeping a conversation, keeping their relationship is very, very, very important. Uh, and you, you really passionately and naturally want to help these brands to do the best that they can to be sustainable and recycle and upcycle. You also develop your own business. Uh, when I do trials and explore different techniques of upcycling and recycling, I realized that it's costly. So if you want to transform a pair of pants into a jacket, it takes a lot of labor and uh, you have to do it onshore. And they already spent money to produce the stock that you want to recycle and upcycle. So not all the techniques uh, that you do for yourself or for your brand uh, will be suitable for them. What it, I became to understand is that what is suitable for them is something that is a little bit faster and cheaper and they can easily do and that they cannot, you know, overcharge the customer for. So you learn how to, you know, you learn their needs uh, as customer or collaborators, whatever, and you try to keep the conversation alive by uh, sending your new work, new ideas uh, and uh, 
or uh, it happens just organically as well. Earlier you mentioned that it was based on commission and that's how that initial project was done. Is that how your work is carried through or has it changed the way that you sort of navigate that sort of financial space? Yeah, no, uh, now like uh, the other things are paid uh, wholesale. So tie-dyes and masks, uh, everything I do, I do the work uh, and then I just invoice them. It's not anymore on, on commissions. Uh, I guess it really it really would depend uh, uh, on the type of garment. Now it, it's um, basically wholesale. How does that intersect, I guess, with the other ways that you make money as a business? And, you know, is this business profitable for you? Are you making money? Are you losing money? If you're happy to share. Yeah, no. Last year, I wasn't either losing or making money. And this year, I'm, you know, pretty much in the same boat. Uh, while the first couple of years, I was losing money, of course. Uh, yeah, it definitely worries me because uh, I don't want to go back to be a traditional fashion brand and have to compromise too much about, you know, sustainability. Certainly, uh, I can see a little bit, I, I can see growth, I can see change, and that's, that's very important, but it's not pro- profitable yet. And that's my, my main goal that I must hit fairly soon, because if a business doesn't grow, it's just bound to die, in my opinion. Of course, I had also personal challenges, which is, you know, having to work other jobs part-time so not not fully dedicate myself to this uh, and also the challenge I think of as I said doing something new Uh, it's not like I produce samples uh, for a collection and then I produce 200 pieces uh, then I exclusively focus on marketing it and selling it it's a totally different thing so it's definitely more challenging uh. yeah with your business, what's the breakdown between your work that you do? I know you have a stall at Rose Street Artist Market recently, those sorts of things which are direct to customer and then these sort of uh, aspects where you're more working closely with the brand. In terms of your brand as a whole, like what proportion is what? Uh, well, the, the wholesale business is definitely bigger. It's more stable in terms of sales. So that be I don't know probably sixty seventy percent and probably yeah thirty to forty percent is direct to consumer. What I wanted to start doing, which hasn't been possible because of lockdown, was to do workshops because if you know ways of upcycling or recycling something that you are not using, you know you might want to teach uh, these ways to other people so they can do it themselves uh, that could be another possible income but yeah at the moment it's just this true so i guess i'd love to hear a bit of a comparison between the work that you've done with neek how that's evolved and other projects where you have done sort of very open collaborations with other brands what have been some of the things that you've noticed as being different probably firstly how successful uh, is actually their project that you are doing together because if it's successful uh, then you are more you want to sort of continue a collaboration uh, then about of course keeping the conversation but all also like following each other work uh, and uh, having genuine uh, interest in what other people are doing uh, 
uh, like Nick's follows my work. Um, they often like my posts, uh, comment my stories and everything. And they, they, I think they generally like what I do. So having a similar aesthetic, it's also truly very important because you are selling to a specific market and you know that this market likes certain kind of things. So I think this would probably be the difference. I haven't uh, had the option to collaborate with other brands. I sent often emails, especially to denim companies, uh, because uh, denim is such a good fabric, uh, really good quality, and it lasts forever. And it's really nice to, if it's reworked and upcycled. As you can see, a lot of brands, if they do anything, you know, about a recycled or upcycled, they use generally denim. But I haven't got gotten any response. Uh, so I don't have many connection in the industry. So it's uh, like a cold calling uh, a lot of the times, just, you know, you don't get an answer. How many people do you think you've reached out to with a cold call or a cold email? Probably 15 to 20. Yeah, which is, I know that it's a lot, but consider that I've been doing this part-time. So uh, as I also said recently on my Instagram to share the struggle because it's not easy to, to, to run a business, especially when you are you know doing these new things and if you don't have connections. Uh, because that's important because talking to the right person at the right time that what makes uh, a project or a collaboration happen but you know sending an email is a completely different thing that seems like the perfect time to ask you why do you keep going what makes you keep going when it is a struggle i hope that not many brands will hear this but i would do this for free uh, I'm just just so very passionate about this, and I don't see any other way. I mean, I I, I considered many times, uh, you know, I should probably just get a good pattern maker and design a collection and go to some trade conference and then just do things like everybody does uh, as a fashion brand, uh, as a designer. But I cannot uh, because I just would contribute to something that is. Uh, polluting and is uh, not right and needs uh, immediate attention so it keeps me going because I know that in the future brands will need uh, people like me you know the solutions that I create uh, uh, are important and I'm really hoping that you know they will become useful more and more useful and more and more adopted I also particularly love the process itself uh, of uh, ripping something apart uh, and transforming it into, into something else. Uh, I'm confident that this is going to be profitable. I've just got to keep going and keep trying. Uh, I, I honestly think that all we hear on, on the internet, you know, are just from zero to six figures business uh, in, a, in a year is very, very rare as a, as a phenomenon in general. So... And there is the additional challenge of uh, being a completely different business model. To give a bit more insight into what it's like working the way that you do, can you describe your workspace and a bit about how you set up your work? Is it from home? How does it intersect with the rest of your life? Yeah, it is in my home. I have a studio. I started with just a desk when I was in a small apartment and then 
we got this chance to move to bigger houses so and with the years i built up uh, machines and you know stock and uh, tools and everything and it does intersect with your life in a way in which there's no boundary in between uh, your rest uh, and your work. Uh, but there wouldn't be anyway because you are so passionate about something that as soon as your brain is uh, one second at rest, uh, an idea pops up. Uh, so you still want to just go back and work on it and just try to execute that idea. I never felt like, oh, I need to have an office and just, you know, go there. Like, sometimes I miss human connections because I have uh, collaborators and things that I talk to, like people that I talk to and everything. But it's a creative space, so it's a very important space. Uh, and you, without even you realizing it, with the years it builds up, uh, it becomes more valuable, uh, with the work that you do, do you do it all yourself or do you have some partners who you get involved? Uh, I have a seamstress that I work with. Uh, yeah, she's been with me from the very beginning and uh, she's uh, very focused on, you know, technical aspects of, of garments, pattern making and then the sewing, uh, which because my degree in fashion was, was fashion product uh, but I studied everything that was around, you know, building a collection and building a fashion brand, but not actually technically uh, executing and producing a collection. So I don't have much technical knowledge. Uh, at the beginning, we were closer, like logistically. So we would meet at my place um, at home. Now we are far. So we meet at the maker's space, um, which is totally free. And it, they have uh, tons of machines and space. Uh, it's uh, just a, like a free service within the library in the Docklands one. I definitely miss have the opportunity to sort of be, be with her more and discuss uh, new ideas and things. But she also has her own brand. Um, so she also has her own commitments. Uh. So with your work with her, how do you navigate that? Is that something that you pay her for her time? Is it that you're sort of really just joint creators in this work? So it's more of a partnership? No, no, it's not a partnership. I pay her for, for her time. So it's just casual. So sometimes when I get too many orders uh, in a like, short amount of time, uh, I outsource some of the uh, manufacturing to her that that's masks uh, or not tie-dye because she tie-dye I, I only do but also the reshirt collection she helped me uh, a lot do part of it and steal some of the pieces uh. so yeah I just pay her for her time. A little bit earlier in our conversation you called some of the collaborations successful and I would love to know what do you think makes them successful? It's just about people actually buying in from uh, from the brand that you collaborate with perspective. So if it sells uh, well, uh, that's successful. Uh. But for them, it's different than what is success for me. I mean, success for me is more being able to recycle and upcycle uh, a larger quantity of garments or fabric. Uh, uh, while for the brand is more selling these. Uh, but, uh, you know, being able to sell uh, and being appreciated from customers, uh, it's important because it's what, what keeps everything alive. Uh, without that, there'd be no 
you know, no business, no nothing. So definitely, ultimately, success depends from how appreciated you are from the customers and the customers purchasing. Yeah. yeah. Kind of along those lines, perhaps. Talking about ownership or responsibility, did you own the project? Were you responsible for the whole project or was that something that you shared with Neek? Mm, it, it depends. It really depends. So sometimes uh, they give you more creative direction. Uh, they have a clearer idea of what they want to do, where they want to go, what's the output. Uh, sometimes uh, they just say, oh, I've got these, uh, just, just go for it. And uh, everything is up to you. So it really varies. It depends from project to project, uh, timings. Uh, yeah, when when uh, things are more more challenging because they have specific requests and everything. Uh, yeah, there's been times like this, but I I never felt like I was you know the only owner of the project. It always feel like it always feels like a collaboration. Beautiful. Was there any other thoughts that? Maybe things that you would reflect on that you do differently. The only thing that I would have probably done differently was to try to work more hours and put more time into these. Um, but yeah, I just just unfortunately couldn't. Uh, but everything else, I'm happy. Uh, I'm happy even if you know it might not be financially successful, uh, extremely successful, or successful at all. Uh, but yeah, as I said, I'm confident that it will so that's why i also think that your research is important and i hope that uh, more people reading results and sharing results so that's a way for us uh, small businesses to get more information and potentially grow our businesses uh, and everyone would benefit from it yeah so i guess to wrap up what makes you want to work with people um, or collaborate with people well, definitely they stock. Fashion is a lot about aesthetic. Definitely, you know, looking at their image and their stock. Like, for example, I wouldn't, I would never work with a, a fast fashion unless it's, you know, I don't know, a specific project or something that I could contribute in a positive way. But personally, I would not do because I appreciate the quality, longevity, and, and, and certain things. So it is about aesthetic, but also shared sort of values and way to do things. Uh, for example, you know, using just nature fabrics. Like tie-dye is something that you potentially can do also on polyester, but would not have the same results. So the fact that NYX only produces... Uh, and uses uh, natural materials has made these very simple because everything can be dyed. Yeah, a shared aesthetic, shared values, uh, uh, and ultimately also the, the, the relationship that you have with people, you know, easy, easy, you know, talking and, uh, you know, whether you get along with the people that you are collaborating with or or not. Um, that's, that's another important thing, yeah. I guess. Yes, that's all. Any advice for other creatives who want to work in this space? The advice is uh, I'm sure that if they listen to any coach or anyone, uh, they would probably hear this like a 100,000 times, but it's definitely to not give up uh, 
because I know that it's so very easy to give up uh, uh, being so difficult uh, to build a business, uh, to get recognized for the work that you do. I know that it's very, very easy to just say, no, but you know what, just going to do a Monday to Friday, nine till five and, and just give up uh, being a designer, being a creative, exploring, looking for, trying to do something new, something different. Uh, so that would be my main, main advice. Uh, do not give up uh, because I'm 100% sure that in the future, the industry will be a different industry. And we'll need more people like us. If you're keen to see Glissier 504's designs, you can find them on Instagram at Glissier504. That's G-L-I-E-S-E 504. Or check out their website, glissier504.myshopify.com. For more on the Reneek Renuke initiative, you can check out their specific Instagram, Reneek, R-E-N-I-Q-U-E dot Renew. To hear more from me or find out more about the podcast, check out my Instagram, underscore Julia dot English underscore. You'll find podcast snippets alongside my usual content, which ranges from fashion and sustainability chats to wardrobe restyling, as well as mending projects and techniques. Part of the reason I'm sharing these interviews is in the hope that they might help you or others to engage in this space. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as part of the research. So please comment, review and share this podcast and the snippets you find on my Instagram. In doing so, you'll be opting in for your feedback to contribute to my research. Through sharing this podcast, I'm hoping to be more transparent in the way I do research. However, for the sake of a smooth sounding podcast, this interview has been edited for clarity and some sections may have been cut if they weren't suitable for public sharing. You'll find links to the transcript and citation information in the show notes. My PhD is funded by an Australian Government Research Training Scholarship and has had ethics approval through RMIT University. You can also find my contact details in the show notes should you have any questions about the research.